to What the Fertility Podcast. We are so excited today. We have Haley Green with us, and she's going to talk to us about her journey, um, her miscarriage that she went through, as well as um, just being in a blended family. So, hey, Haley. Hi, guys. So, um, let me introduce myself. I'm Haley Green. I'm 30 years old, well, almost 31. Next month, I'll be 31, so I can't say I'm 30 anymore. Um, I was in medical sales for years and years. And then once I had my daughter, Clara, in the middle of the COVID pandemic, I felt like it was best for me to be a stay-at-home mom. And after the long journey that we had to have her, it was the best decision ever. Um, We know that we only wanted one child. And so having to be having the ability to stay at home with her and just soak in every moment is such a blessing. Um, just a little quick intro about me. I met my husband in 2015. We were set up on a blind date by a girl that was actually in me and Kat's sorority. Um, she was Who dating. Who was one- it? It was um, Caroline Traywick. Oh, that's awesome. That's so great. She was dating one of his really good friends and she was like, have this guy that I want you to meet. He's in his thirties. I was 24 at the time and he was 39. I didn't know that he was almost 40. So we have a 15 year age difference. Um, and she was like, he, y'all are going to hit it off immediately. I I just know it. And we did. I mean, it was like, we met and then we were inseparable. We just fell in love. Um, Yeah. It's, it's a, it's a really cute love story. We, he, I knew he had two kids, but I came from a blended family, a family of divorce. And so, and I was an education major, which is weird because then I did medical sales, but um, I guess it just shows that you don't, it doesn't matter what your degree is. Um, But I knew he had two kids and I was actually kind of excited because I love kids. Um, And I did not have a good relationship with my stepmom and so I just had it in my head that I'm gonna be like the cool girlfriend the cool stepmom um and we got married in 2017 and so after our long I mean it was you know long is relative but after what seems like a long infertility journey we have a healthy two-year-old daughter actually next month. So her birthday and my birthday are five days apart. Oh, that's um, so fun. Yeah. So, um, she's, she'll be celebrating her second birthday. Time flies. I can't believe that. I, it's know. I feel like she was just born because you and I connected right around the time you had just recently given birth, which it's, I've been trying for two years now. So that makes sense. Yes, I know. I mean, it, it's, it's crazy how much it's gone by. And I feel like the pandemic and COVID has almost, because sometimes I'll write checks or something and I'll still make the date out as 2020. I don't know if it's just everybody, but I feel like 20, the pandemic has just made time combined. I mean, it's, it's crazy. Um, but yeah, I mean, she's, she's our world. She's, we love her so much. So can you, I love that story. So Josh and I, my husband and I are six years apart, which, you know, feels like a ton. And so I can kind of relate, relate to that. Can you kind of start, I guess, like, so after you got married, I don't know if it was like on your honeymoon night or kind of walk us through what your infertility journey looked like. And maybe if the age difference had a little bit of the play in it or, or what that looked like. Yes, for sure. So I knew, so I was in a different like business to business type sales job. And I always knew that I wanted to get into medical sales. And so like right after we got married, um, I got an opportunity to go into medical device sales and I was traveling three, three times a week, um, overnight stays. So it was really hard for me. I knew I didn't want to try then. Um, because I had the state of South Carolina and the state of North Carolina and that job in particular would have been really hard as a mom. I did not want that job being away from my child. So then I got another job in healthcare marketing in 2018. Um, and it was a really good fit. It felt like a really great family environment and loved my manager. She was a female manager, which I feel like women are more understanding of wanting to try a family and wanting to, 
you know, have kids than men and, and maybe needing to like cut off work a little bit early to lay down if you don't feel good or whatever. I mean, my boss was amazing with that. So, but weirdly enough, I have always had this just feeling that it would be hard for me to get pregnant because I have never had a regular period in my life. Okay. So that's so funny. I had not, it's not funny at all. I had the same exact (laughs) feeling. Like we were on birth control and I was like testing my AMH. We were like engaged. I'm like, I just have this feeling, this bizarre feeling I've never had. Yeah. It's like, I've never had anything bad happen in my life. And so this is going to be it. And wow. Did I, um, forecast. I feel like I was the polar opposite. I was like, Oh my God, I'll probably like cough and get pregnant. And LOL, here I am. that didn't happen like that so that's so funny it's so crazy um and I have you know my sister got pregnant really easy and so my family was like you you don't have anything to worry about I mean we have like no history of infertility of anything in our family but um I just never had a regular period and so when I was 15 I was actually put on birth control because I would go like six months without having a period. And then I remember one time I was at a movie theater and I had on a white mini skirt and my started at the movie theater and I was so embarrassed, but I had no idea that it was going to start because it was never regular. And so my mom, we're going to take you to the OBGYN. And I had also been struggling with some acne as well. And so, um, I guess they never looked at anything further of really the root cause of why are her periods so irregular and I guess it's because I was so young and wasn't trying to have kids um but I I was 15 and was put on birth control and had been a young age that is it's definitely a young age a really young age but I told my mom I didn't want to have another embarrassing experience like that and so sure I, I was on it until 2018 so, so, so I think I, so I think I, I was trying to do the math. I think I started birth control in like 2005 or 2006. And so, I mean, that's 12, 13 years. Wow. Yeah. You know, just, so, that's a really long time. And like, you know, I, we're having a guest on in a couple months who she's 18 years old and same exact situation as you. Like she went a whole year without having a cycle. And so they're like, here's some birth control. She's like, no, 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 that's not what I'm going to do. Which is, I think nowadays it's much more talked about. So they know there's other options, but my gosh, when I was 15, nobody talked about your period or fertility or any of it. I had no idea to ask my doctor to look further into it a part of me thought that this was going to solve all my problems. I mean, now knowing, I feel like birth control personally is not good for you. I I mean, that's just my personal stance, but I feel like other might work for other people's bodies. I have one of very good, I have a very good friend who's on it for years. And then right after she got off birth control, she got pregnant the first try, lucky her, but yeah, that that was definitely not, um, my situation at all. I follow lots of Instagram accounts that talk about birth control too. So yeah, have on your body, but, um, anyways, you started birth control was your cycles then regulated. Yeah, but they were really light. Okay. Yeah. They were always really light. And then whenever I got off of the birth control, so I was kind of writing like it down. I was trying to think of when I got off of birth control, I got off of it in April, 2018, because that's when my husband and I were like, okay, you know, you have a new job, you're not traveling all the time. So why don't we start just trying naturally? And I told him, I thought that it would always be hard for me to have kids. And he said, you don't know that, you know, me and my ex-wife, it was so easy for us. Ouch. Yeah, that I'm so thankful that you're going to be open to talking about this because this is something that I think a lot of people don't talk about or even think about. And I've had so many people reach out to me on Instagram that are like, Hey, I know you have stepkids. Like, how do you do it? (laughs) And their stepkids are younger. My stepkids are older now, but I mean, Gavin and I have been together for almost seven years now. So I've definitely been day at my stepson was, um, I think he was 10 and my stepdaughter was eight. So 
when you guys were struggling. Yeah. So, so it, that was, you said April, 2018 that you started? April when we started. Yeah. So we started trying then and my periods were still not regular then they went back to being just like very light periods, very irregular. They would come every two weeks and then they would, you know, go, I would go two months without having one. So there was a new hospital that had recently been built and I decided to go to a new OBGYN, which was a mistake because he was kind of a jerk and he decided to do an ultrasound on me. And he said, you have classic PCOS, but you're not the typical PCOS patient. Um, you don't have male pattern hair loss. You don't have facial hair and you don't have, um, you're not overweight, which are all PCOS signs. But he said, you, your ovaries do look polycystic. So I'm referring you to a fertility clinic, to a specialist, because I don't typically see patients like you that do have PCOS. And I think that they would be a better fit for you. Um, and it took us a while to get into that clinic. It, I mean, I think it took us months to get into that clinic. And Kat, I know that it was the clinic that you guys first started out with too. Yeah. So, oh, it was the, oh, it was the first one. Okay. So this it is it. So Haley set me up with my favorite clinic in the world, my favorite doctor ever. I was going through a really hard time with the current clinic, which now you're referring to. Yes. And she was like, no, you have to go. I had my baby with this physician. And so I'm like forever in debt and thankful to that. The best. I wish we would have started out with him. Um, but we, we didn't. And, you know, like, you know, with that clinic, there was one doctor that we really liked and she was a female doctor. And then I think that they've probably grown since then, but there were two male doctors that I just did not like. And you, they, they were based in Charleston. And so you, we couldn't see the same doctor every time, which we didn't like. Um, but you know, we were just going to get blood tests done, um, she told me I did not have PCOS. She told me that my ultrasound didn't look like I had PCOS. Honestly, they did so much blood work that I can't remember all of the things that they tested me for, mm -hmm. but she said my blood work indicated that I didn't have PCOS. Um, and my AMH levels, what is it that can, that tells you your egg quality? It's AMH. Your AMH. And a lot of women with PCOS, they do tend to have like those higher AMH numbers, like over like four. Yeah. Mine was like three ish. And so she was like, your AMH looks great. And then something else that determines egg quality. I can't remember what it was, but it your FSH, your LH, and it's all like what they are like together. Like if one's low and the other's high. Yes. So those were all really good. Um, and then she said that basically whatever we wanted to try that we could try with some letrozole, which basically makes you ovulate because I was not having regular periods. So we would know when we would ovulate and then we would have time intercourse. So we decided to go ahead and do that. And let me just say time intercourse is the worst thing in the world. It is so awkward. It's like setting up music, right? <laughs> to have sex. I will tell you. So I have this it's calendar. I know you said you were like very type A. So I have this calendar in our laundry room and we have little hearts that we would put on because we do something called the sperm meets egg method. And so basically you're like, it's for people that have had miscarriages. You're like from day eight of your cycle to day like 20. So you don't miss it. And my husband's like, I, I literally, this is, I'm done, which I, I agree. Probably he's not going to listen to this, but he would probably like kill me for saying this, but it took him like sometimes he was like I can't come I can't come because yeah. this is is I don't know can I say that on this podcast yeah I mean yeah, we're yeah, talking about right. fertility yeah. that's awesome no I mean he was like, um, I was like there's so much pressure I can't do it and I was like you gotta come you gotta come and then like, I, I need that yes it's so true well and to your point about pressure I mean it, it's true it's like if if they're feeling sick or if they don't get home till 10 30 at night my husband was working like 3 30 in the morning and we get home at 10 o'clock at night and I'm like if by when it hits 1201 we're out <laughs> we're out of the cycle okay. yeah. yep. it's so sad I remember my taking my stepdaughter to dance. And I was like, well, as soon as you get home before we've got, we have dinner with the kids, we have got to have sex and we've just got to do it. And then I'm going to elevate my legs. I'm going to put them up yeah. in a handstand. 
I love it. I love it. Okay. So so this is awesome. He's gonna, he's gonna listen to the episode. You know, he will. Oh my God. I hope. Okay. So you're doing letrozole. You're doing timed intercourse. How many months did you do that? So right before I did that, I had the HSG, which I guess like clears your fallopian tubes. And then I also read that a lot of people get pregnant after they have the HSG. I've read that too. I did. Yeah. I did get pregnant right after it. So right after that was the first time we did it and I got pregnant and I was so surprised. And I remember, so I have a really, I have a best friend who I'm very fortunate to have her as one of my best friends because she has a stepdaughter who is very close in age to my stepson. Her and her husband have an age difference and she went through and she's been through infertility. So she's the one that actually introduced me to Dr. T who's Kat's doctor. Who's the best doctor ever. Best doctor. Um, I've, I literally manage physicians, OBGYN physicians for a living. And he is the best. He's the best. I told him when I got pregnant with Clara that I wished that he could just deliver her. And he was like, you don't want me to do that. It's been a long time. And I was I like, remember, I you, t- I remember you telling me that I will too. I mean, if I ever would graduate from his clinic, I'd be like, please, can I stay? <laughs> I stayed with him for the, for as long as I made him agree to extra visits and, um, <laughs> and he agreed. And then he had to pretty much kick me out. He was like, you've got to go. <laughs> You're good. You've got to go. You've got an appointment with your OBGYN next week. You're going to be okay. Um, but anyways, um, I have a really good friend who was, who was going through infertility and IVF at that time. And so I just remember thinking, maybe I'm not in this infertility club. Like maybe we just had to get me yeah, you know, ovulating and I'm not really in this, in this category of infertile and I feeling cool for a second. Like maybe I'm so true. Yeah. Maybe I'm like a fertile girl, like Gavin's ex-wife and I'm not infertile and I'm just going to get pregnant on the first try. Like, like everybody else and like his ex-wife did. Um, and we had three because we were, um, we requested to get ultrasounds weekly. And I remember, and we really liked Dr. Cook. So we would actually, oops, can I say? Yes, (laughs) that's fine. Okay. So we really liked that doctor. And so we would actually travel to Charleston to see her for the ultrasounds because her bedside manner was the best out of the three doctors. And she was like, the heartbeat looks great. Everything looks great. So after we were over eight weeks just over eight weeks pregnant, I graduated from that clinic and then did not have an appointment with my OBGYN until we were 12 weeks. Wow. Um, I didn't know that. Yeah. It was a really long time to wait. And so after, um, when we were almost 12 weeks, my husband was really excited and he was like, I've got to tell the kids, I've got to tell the kids they're, they're excited. And I just really want them to know. And so we told the kids and they were really excited. You know, my stepdaughter was more excited. She was 12. She was more excited than my stepson. And she was like, what do you want to name her? What do you think you want to name her? And we would talk about names. And my stepson, I think was like, congratulations. He was 15. And then he went to go play with <laughs> yeah. sex dogs. like excited, but he wasn't like elated. Like my stepdaughter, I feel like she was really excited. Um, so it was that week that we told them that weekend I started to get worried because I was like something off. I just got this like sixth sense in my head. I was like, I feel like something might be off. And symptoms or anything at this point, like any, like anything indicating a miscarriage or anything like that. Bleeding, no, nothing, no cramping, absolutely nothing, but my own call it intuition, call it what you will call it anxiety or paranoia. Um, but I was having just this terrible feeling that something was, was wrong. Um, and I had bought a Doppler and it was way too early to hear a heartbeat, but I couldn't hear a heartbeat. And I think that that contributed to the anxiety as well. Yeah. Um, I just remember it was a Sunday and we have my stepkids. So it's a little bit different now that they're teenagers, they kind of make their own routine, but when they were younger, we would have 50, 50 custody. So my stepkids would be here 
and Sunday is the switch off day. So, you know, they would come for a week and then they would go back to their moms for a week. So on Sunday I was laying down and um, my stepdaughter actually came in to check on me because she, Gavin just said, she's not feeling well. And I remember her saying, I hope you and the baby are okay and are feeling well. And then that Monday I called my OBGYN and I said, y'all have to get me in. And I actually lied to them and told them that I was cramping, even though I wasn't. I um, you. Yeah. I was like, y'all have to get me in. I just needed like to know what was going on. You needed confirmation or yeah. Reassurance or something. Right. Brain was telling me that something was wrong and they got me in and I'll never forget it. I don't know if like your OBGYN is like this, but they did the ultrasound and then the ultrasound is projected on the big screen mm-hmm. and you see the baby and you know, I've seen it before with a little flickering of the heartbeat and there was no heartbeat. And so the baby had passed away just days after my last appointment at the fertility clinic. I am and I- so sorry. Yeah. I'm so sorry. Was Gavin able to go with you to that scan? So he wasn't, and he was in a meeting at work, and um, I had a really hard time getting a hold of him because he was in a huge meeting. Um, Gavin is the vice president of a large construction company um, that are kind of all over the Southeast um, in several states in the Southeast. So he was having a really important meeting, and I think I, I I kind of blocked this out because it's such a terrible memory, but I told the nurse, I said, I can't get a hold of my husband. So I had texted him. I was like, I can't get a hold of him. So I'm just going to drive home. And I was in hysterics. I mean, I was crying. I could not get a hold of myself. And they were like, you've got to call somebody to come get you. You've, mm-hmm. you can drive. She put me in another room and just rubbed my back. She was oh. the sweetest nurse. And she cried with me. I mean, she was an angel. She was who I needed right then. Um, and I think that we might have called like his home office and said, you need to pull Gavin Green out of the meeting. I think she might've, maybe he just saw my text. I don't remember, but somehow we got a hold of him and he came and he got me. Um, oh, that's so good. Yeah. And he cried with me. And I just remember the first thing I said to him is I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. Because I blame myself and he, you know, repeatedly told me I had nothing to feel guilty about, but I, you know, and I still a little bit blame myself. I'm still like, could I, if I had done this differently, would something happen? And I was working out a little bit when I was pregnant because I always work out. Um, and I was definitely taking it easier, but I just thought maybe if I didn't work out that this would happen, or maybe if I wasn't eating meat, you know, a million different. Yeah, I can resonate with that so much, so much. So, and I'm sure Amanda can as well. Like number one, the first thing you say is like, I'm sorry. You say it to your husband, your spouse, even your parents. Like my parents have always known as soon as we get pregnant. And it's like, I'm sorry that you guys were all waiting for us to go to this appointment and you were waiting for like the really good news. And then you're having to share bad news and ruin their day too. And really we don't control it, but it's like the very first thing I think is women too. We're like, we're sorry. sorry. Yeah. Like the guilt is well, and you're carrying that baby. And as soon as you see, and you're, you know, mm-hmm, and you're, um, I feel like it's different with women because once you hear that heartbeat and once you find out you're pregnant, you have an immediate bond with your child. I mean, that's, you love that baby. And I don't think that my husband necessarily had that connection that I did. I think he obviously loved the baby, but it was different for him well, because- there- the men aren't feeling, yeah, the men aren't feeling it every day. Like as soon as you get pregnant, you pretty much feel different. Right. And yeah, yeah, you feel different. And so, um, I told him I could not be in the house and I had an amazing manager, like I said, and I told her I needed to take time off work. And she said, take us, take as long as you need. So my husband and I actually went to Savannah and we, after I had my DNC, I opted for a DNC. And so after I had my DNC, I was like, let's go, let's go to Savannah and let's just get our minds off this. And so I remember my stepdaughter was texting him 
and saying, y'all know the sex of the baby yet? Because we were going to find out because I had done blood work previously. We were going to find out like that week. And he didn't want to tell her over text message, obviously. Um, And so when we got back from Savannah, he texted his ex-wife because obviously he had told the kids and that's another hard part of it because it's such, it's something that's so intimate and so personal. And then the ex-wife gets involved. Um, and she was so sweet and so nice. And she was like, I'm so sorry that y'all are, y'all are going through this right now, but it's still so personal. And it's something that I feel like I didn't necessarily want her to know about, but she had to, you know, because of the kids and I wanted, you know, she had to know if the kids had any questions, I wanted them to be able to talk to their mom about it too. So he told her, and then, um, I think he took the kids to dinner and told them, and then they didn't come back for the following week. And honestly, I avoided them that week because I was ashamed and embarrassed. And I remember thinking that they were going to blame me too, because I was projecting my guilt onto them, even though they did not blame me one bit. Um, I think they felt really bad for me. And I remember my my stepson and my husband having a conversation and Gavin said, you know, Haley feels like you're going to blame her. She feels really guilty. And Davis is like, why would she think that this is her fault? (laughs) Oh, that is precious. And I just love how your husband handled this, how you guys both as a couple handled the situation and like, you know, doing it for you and giving you a little bit of time to process. Uh, Yeah, it, it definitely, I needed to be away from home because we had so many people send us flowers and I felt like looking at these beautiful flowers that were a sign of how much we were loved and how much this baby that we lost was loved, um, was also symbolic of what we had lost. And so I could not stay at home and, and look at the flowers and I needed a change of scenery. Um, needless to say, I have not been back to Savannah since because it always reminds me of, it's a beautiful city, but it just reminds me of losing my, so I don't think I'll go back maybe one day. Um, but anyways, after I was told that I needed to wait a little while to get pregnant and after talking to my husband and after talking to my really good friend who had gone through IVF, um, with that doctor, Dr. T, we made the decision to switch clinics. Um, we did also, he also said, you know, your infertility diagnosis is unexplained. Um, because he ran the same test that they did and didn't find any thing that would tell him that I had PCOS. Um, and, but my HCG levels had really, or no, my, not my HCG, FSH levels and the other levels had plummeted. So my egg quality or ovarian reserve was not good. So Haley, so from the very first appointment to now where you're saying like you're with, um, Dr. T you're at the new clinic, had it been like six months, had it been a year, how long had it been? It had been six months and I'm like, what happened? I don't know if it was stress decline. Like how low did it wind up getting? Do you remember? Went from three to like one point something. That's a big drop. Yeah. I mean, that time frame, that's short. Short time frame, I thought so too. Really short. Um, honestly, I still wonder about it. I'm like, what made it good? I don't know if it was stress. I know stress can do terrible things to your body. I mean, I was in such a low place. I should have gotten therapy because at my lowest, I was like contemplating suicide. I mean, I was thinking about scenarios in my head. I don't even know if my husband knows that. I mean, I was, I was, I would not have actually gone through with it, but I was so depressed and in such a dark spot that I had lost that baby that I just, and that, you know, I was also reminded that my husband had kids and it was so easy for him to have kids. And he told me it was so easy for him and his ex-wife to have kids. So I was asked how, so at this point, obviously, you know, being around other children, I know for me, when I was, when I miscarried, 
and then seeing even just my nieces and my nephews, like it was really, I mean, as I love my nieces and my nephews so much, but it was really hard to see that family unit and knowing that I didn't have that. So I'm just yeah. curious, like, I know you've said it was really hard, but like what helped you kind of get through that? Just even being around your stepchildren, just for any listeners that may be going through this. Um, I mean, I had to be around, you have to be around your stepkids. And I had a ton of resentment towards his ex-wife for, I mean, she didn't do anything wrong. She was just able to get pregnant, but I had a lot of resentment towards her. I had a lot of resentment towards him because I was like, you know, do you not love me as much because it's not as easy for me to get pregnant as it was for her? Do you wish you wouldn't have married someone that didn't want kids? Um, but I, you know, I should have gotten therapy and I didn't, and I internalized a lot of it. And I, it was a really hard time in our marriage because I felt like I projected a lot of my insecurities and my anger and my frustration out on my husband and I had a really good friend who was pregnant from IVF and she had a stepdaughter and I just talked to her every day and would just tell her, you know, talk to her about my stepkids and talk to her about how hard it is. And, and then, you know, shortly after I had my miscarriage, um, my stepkids mom got hit with a really terrible medical diagnosis. She got hit with brain, uh, breast cancer. Um, so they were going through a lot. And so my focus was kind of helping them go through that as much as I could without, I didn't want to put the focus on myself at that point. Um, you bring so, up, yeah, you bring up so many good points and something I just wanted to add to that. I think a lot of people forget when they're in that situation real time is like, we were, you were pregnant, right? So you have all these hormones, just like postpartum depression. When you deliver, you have like, they, they immediately drop just like with a DNC. I mean, that number is mm-hmm. dropping way quicker than it would or should. And so that yeah. does play a role into it. And then you add on the grief and the loss and it's, it's just a lot. It's a lot. And, you know, I, I didn't deal with it how I should have, I should have gotten therapy. I should have, I did go see my psychiatrist because I wanted to get on some different anxiety medications. Um, and he was, he, he was really sweet and comforting and told me that his wife had a miscarriage too with their first baby. Um, but I should have, I should have talked to someone. And I think that if anyone is listening, get therapy there's, there's affordable online therapy. I mean, I should have done that, but I felt like I didn't want to talk about it. I felt like I compartmentalized it and, um, I handled it the wrong way. So don't do what I did do the exact opposite. (laughs) (laughs) I agree. I, you know, I tried one or two therapists and like, it just never worked, but we were at dinner the other night and I told my husband, I'm like, one day, if it's five years from now, it's just all going to come out somehow because for me, my coping was get pregnant, get pregnant again, get pregnant again. If I get pregnant again, I'll be okay. And Mm -hmm. so, and it sounds, if I get pregnant again, I'll be okay. Um, but that honestly getting pregnant and staying pregnant after a miscarriage is a roller coaster. And I felt like I could never breathe fully. I mean, Clara, my placenta stopped working and Clara was an emergency C-section. And so I have some birth trauma too. And so, and I was incredibly anxious my whole pregnancy because I was like, is this going to be the day that. So let's, let's walk listeners. Cause obviously we know you have a kid. <laughs> let's walk <laughs> listeners through. So you, you went back. So now you're with um, Dr. T at a new fertility clinic. It had been a couple months since your miscarriage. And now you're like, I'm going to do IVF. Um, so originally actually before that, he told me that he didn't think that I necessarily needed to do IVF. We hadn't redrawn the blood to see what my levels were because it had only been six months and he did not think that there would be a huge change with my AMH levels. So he said, let's do timed intercourse again, which sucked, (laughs) but then ovulating like three eggs at a time. And my husband was like, we do not want multiples. We don't want multiples. We will, so we decided we were, and I did not want to go through my, my friend that had done IVF kind of had talked to me about genetic testing because it does rule out the chance of 
miscarriages in some situations, they felt strongly for me that that was what caused my miscarriage. Um, and so even though they didn't do any tests to find out, they just felt like that. And so then we went through IVF. Um, and that process, I mean, you guys know the process. It is grueling. It is long. Um, my hormones were crazy. We did not tell my stepkids I was going through IVF because again, it's something very private. And I felt like I only wanted my close friends to know. And this is nothing against Gavin's ex-wife. I think she's a great person. She's awesome. I love her. I'll text her, you know, if my stepson's on his Xbox late and he's kept us up all night, I'm like, oh, he's driving me crazy. And she completely can relate to me. But um, at that time, it was so personal. I did not want her to know about it. I just wanted our close friends and family to know about it. But, you know, I felt like I was like laid up for a long time because after the embryo, I mean, we had one viable embryo and then we had a mosaic embryo and that was it. And the viable embryo stuck. And I felt like I just was trying to do the very least amount of anything possible because I was so scared that if I exercised or if I ate the wrong thing, that I was going to have a miscarriage. If you sneezed. I mean, it's just, it's the Yeah. I know. And I remember, um, Dr. T telling me that I could be off the progesterone shots at 12, at 10 weeks. And I was like, no, I want to keep doing that. The same exact thing. They told me 10 weeks. And I was like, no, I'm, I'm doing it until at least the whole first trimester. And I was like, and then we're going to like slowly come off of it. I'm not going to just like one day just stop completely. Oh, but you yeah. Google that's apparently not good. According to Google, even though it was yeah. fine, according to my like amazing doctor who graduated top of this class who I could like, no, I know better. <laughs> like no Google said, <laughs> right. I, it's so true. So he knew my anxiety. He knew my fears and he was like, okay, just do what you have to do. We'll give you more prescriptions. If you want to keep getting butt injections. I mean, my butt don't feel like sometimes, and I have sciatic nerve pain now. And I wonder now if it's oh from all of those butt injections because that intramuscular needle is so long. It, it is. is. So it is. Okay. Yeah. It is. So you, so you basically, you got pregnant and you were just doing the progesterone, which is a ton. When did you end up weaning off of that? 12 or 13 weeks. That's a lot. It was after my first OB appointment. Same. <laughs> it was after I oh. graduated clinic and it was after my first OB appointment. And then we told the kids and I don't think I can't remember if he gave his ex-wife a heads up or not. I don't know because she was going through so much mm. at that time. Like she, she was going through treatment and um, we kind of just kept her out of it because she was dealing with a lot and we just told the kids. So, and they were excited, but you know, my stepdaughter at that time was 13 because it was this, at this time it was, or she was almost 13. So this was like August. September, maybe September of 2000. No, it was October of 2019 when we told them. So, okay. So you did one round then of IVF and that is the pregnancy and then your baby that you have now, right? Yes. Yes. So we're really lucky that we did not have to do multiple rounds of IVF because it's so hard. I mean, you, you guys know how hard it is. It's so hard on your body. Um, it's so hard on you mentally. I remember one time I was in like the thick of IVF. I mean, this was right before my egg retrieval. And so I was getting the stomach injections and, um, I was at my stepdaughter's dance recital at the end of the year and his ex-wife. So we haven't always had the best relationship, but now we have a much better relationship. Um, and I've since apologized to her about this, but we, she spelled my name wrong in the little dance bulletin. She was like, congratulations. We love you so much. Love mom, dad, Haley, yada, yada, yada. But she spelled my name wrong. And I was like, oh, she did this on purpose, Gavin, don't you think? And he was like, I don't know. Why He's do like, I calm down? You're on a lot of meds. Calm down. I don't know. And so I texted her 
And I said, for future reference, this is how you spell my name, which is so bitchy. Oh. Oh <laughs> and she, and you know, and like, she didn't know that you're jacked up on all these hormones. Right. And so actually I saw her, our relationship got better because we live in a really small town and we, um, we grocery shop at the same grocery store. And I feel like it's always at the same time. <laughs> it just kind of kept running into her like week after week after week. And at one point I ran it, I, I bumped into her and I was like, I just want to let you know that what I did was not okay. And being on hormones for IVF wasn't an excuse, but I was projecting my own insecurities out on you and none of this, and it was not your fault. I know you were just trying to do your best. You were going through treatment. I'm a horrible person for doing that. And she was like, Haley, it's fine. You're fine. (laughs) (laughs) It sounds like you guys have a great relationship now. She's really, she's a really good person. And she's, she's always, um, I think when you live in a small town and when divorce happens, there's always rumors that circulate about, oh, he said this, or she said this, Mm -hmm. Um, especially in like old friend groups that she was in that my husband is still in, but ultimately she and I had to have our own relationship and I love I, that yeah yeah anyone. I love that you bring all this up because we definitely haven't touched on it on the podcast at all so far and I think you know I'm not divorced right like I don't even have that situation but I know I share very very openly on my social media platform and I'll just like be like driving down the road sometimes and I'm like have a crushing feeling like, oh my gosh, like any ex-boyfriend or any ex relationship is probably like, oh, so glad I didn't stay with her. So glad it didn't work out because then we'd be going through infertility and you do, you kind of like, whoa, like, and I actually being in a family where your husband has children from another woman, I just can relate very easily to to how you probably were feeling. I I was so resentful and she, she did nothing wrong, but I resented her so bad for being able to get pregnant. Well, I you want it so badly. So yeah. you're just, yeah, like you want, you want to do anything that you can to have that. And then seeing that in your face almost like every day, mm-hmm. I mean, I can imagine. Yeah. Like, she was more of a woman than me because she had kids with my husband. It made me feel like she was a better wife to him because she, even though they were divorced, even though I knew he loved me and, you know, didn't want to be with her, he wanted to be with me. And I, I didn't think he wanted to be with her. I was just jealous of her and the fact that she could so easily have kids and she's got these two kids with him and it came so easy. And here I am struggling to have kids and having stepkids is not easy. I mean, they change as they get older, hormones change. They want to be up in their rooms with their phones more. You know, there's drama going on with girls. I mean, do y'all remember middle school girl drama? The worst. And this was when we had Clara and when we were going through a miscarriage and when we were going through IVF, my stepdaughter was in the thick of middle school and she didn't openly share, you know, middle school drama with us. I'm sure she shared it with her mom, but there were times when she was grumpier than usual. Um, and I mean, she was just kind of in her own world and it was, she had every right to be grumpier than usual. It's a rite of passage. Everyone goes through that awkward phase and that uncomfortable time, but it was hard. It was hard to be going through IVF and dealing with all of this and dealing with all of that. Let me ask you a question. So generally, I feel like in general, the partner typically grieves differently than the woman going through it. With Gavin's situation, so in your situation, he had his two children, right? Like not, I, I like he had children and you're yeah. over here saying, yes, I adore my stepchildren. I love them there. I consider them my children, but I haven't gone through like a pregnancy and a birth. Did you guys grieve very differently during this process? Yeah. Yes. Which also made me resent him more. So he was, you know, he's the kind of person that he's very upbeat. He's very like, okay, he works so hard and I was stuck in such a terrible place for so long. I was stuck in, I was stuck playing victim. I was stuck, you know, grieving my loss and I could not understand 
I mean, we were building a house at the time too. And the reason that we were building a house is because we wanted to have another room for a nursery that was really easily accessible to our master bedroom. Um, and that's what, you know, my husband does for a living, right? He's vice president of a construction company. So we um, had already had the land and everything and the house is under construction. And I'm like, okay, what if we, we don't have a baby to put, we don't have a, we don't have and it's just another reminder of what you lost. Right. So I remember just telling him, what if this room is empty and, you know, we don't have a baby and he's like, oh, we'll make it into a gym. And I was like, oh, you just don't get it. I mean, they don't get it. It's just men just don't understand it as much as women do. Um, and it's not something that he's necessarily longing for. Of course he wanted a child with you and you guys have a child, but in the same, same breath, it's like, I've had a child, I've gone through the newborn stage all the way up until their teens. Like I've had that experience and you're on the other side saying I've never experienced this. I've experienced it and I want to experience it with you. Um, and I felt like at sometimes I felt like he was insensitive, but he was not trying to be insensitive. It's just his personality to like, get up, like, let's move on from this. Let's do this. Let's do that. But I mean, if he were in my place, he would have grieved just as much. What I always tell people that reach out to me if they've had a miscarriage is grieve as long as you need to, because I still grieve. And it was the three-year anniversary of my miscarriage. And it's usually a really sad day for me, even now that I have Clara, but I still, um, I still grieve and I still get sad about it. And I still think what might've been and who that baby might've been. And I still feel like maybe Clara has a brother or sister, like a little angel looking over her. Um, and this year I decided I was going to have a spa day and I was going to make at a peaceful day that I was going to look forward to. And I did, and it helped me so much because then I came home to my child and she gave me a hug and said, love you mama. And it was just everything I needed to hear. So having, having something, you know, having something to look forward to, I guess, if you can on the day of your anniversary of your miscarriage was good for me, but there is no time, set amount of time for grieving because I think people expect you to just get over it. And it's not something you just get over. You can't, that's your child. I love that you shared this, especially from a perspective of like, you have had success with IVF. You are a mom and, you know, to stepchildren and to Clara and you still are grieving. I think that's just so I appreciate you sharing that. Cause I think some women are like, okay, well, if I have a child, then I'm not allowed to even grieve my past. I mean, for me, you know, like I've had six miscarriages and if I were to have a kid or even through adoption, it's like, oh, are you just supposed to forget about the last two years of everything you've gone through? And you will always remember that. And I'm trying to think of a way to talk to Clara about it whenever she's old enough, because I want I want it to be a very um, open discussion because it means so much to me. My husband's like, are you going to tell her about this? And I'm like, at 100%, I'm going to tell her because it was so hard for me. It's still so hard for me. And she is such a blessing. She's such a miracle child. I mean, she's my placenta baby. And yeah, she's a rainbow baby. My But my placenta stopped working and um, my water broke and, you know, meconium came out, which is a sign of fetal distress. And my OBGYN told me, we don't want to have a stillbirth. We've got to get her out now. How many weeks were you? I was 35. Her heart rate. Yeah. So it was terrible. That was terrifying. Um, and so she's my true miracle in every sense of the word. Um, I love her always. And I thank God every, every night when we say our prayers, I thank God for her because I truly think God sent her to me. He knew, I, he knew what I needed. He knew that he knew when I needed her. And, you know, when I, um, when she wasn't moving and I went to my OB's office, it's just my OB in her practice. She has a PA too. 
but I failed a stress test and I failed some ultrasound exam where she wasn't moving, where they would like basically buzz her amniotic fluid to get her to move. Um, it was the only day my OBGYN was on call in the hospital. And so I think that that was totally a God thing too, having, having, yeah, absolutely. I have a friend that had a similar experience to you and like everything just aligned perfectly. Like she wasn't supposed to have an appointment till Thursday. And then it got, there was a schedule change. They brought her in Monday, same thing, decreased fetal movement, emergency C-section. Like had she waited 24 more hours, Anyways, thank you so much, Haley. I've like I really, really enjoyed listening to yes. all this. And there, if, if I can just say, I want to give some advice to anyone that's going through a blended family. Um, I think boundaries are really important. And I think that you should create boundaries from the beginning. And I think that you should talk to your husband and have open expectations about what is okay and what isn't okay. I think a lot of dads face divorce dad guilt Um, my husband did, especially, and let his kids get away with more than they probably should have. Um, but I think boundaries are important. And I think that anyone that is going through my situation, I think it's important to find someone that is a step parent that maybe went through infertility to talk to, whether it's through Instagram, whether it's, you know, through a podcast that they listen to something and anyone can reach out to me. I mean, you've put my Instagram handle out there. I've talked to so many people that are like, this is so hard to do with with stepkids. And I'm like, yeah, it's hard. I, we so appreciate you being that person for other women because I, Amanda and I can't be, we, we haven't gone through that experience. Yeah. I appreciate you being so open and we'll tag, we'll link your Instagram again in the show notes and the blog and everything. Yeah. Anyone can follow me. I am an open book and, um, you can ask me anything and talk to me about anything because it's a lonely process when you feel like you don't have anyone to talk to. So I get it, but also therapy is probably a good idea to do. (laughs) I know. I feel like I still need to make some appointments. Yeah. (laughs) Everyone needs therapy. So it's fine. (laughs) Yeah. Well, yeah. thank you so much, Haley. We thank really you appreciate for having it. Me. It was so great having you on here. It was so great to be on here. Y'all have a great day.